This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Sandra Wallace shares her personal story about what it was like to live with OCD and not having the ability to put a name to it. As a result, not being able to reach out and receive the appropriate professional help. The appropriate professional help is so key in order to be able to start the process of recovery. Sandra wants her story to become our story. By sharing her story, she allows others to come forward with theirs. It all starts with having the faith that life can and will be different with time. As a coach, Sandra instills belief in others long enough till they can believe in themselves. The first step, literally, is being able to confront our fears gradually and over time allow the fear to lessen. Often, we live decades in isolation because we don't know how to start the process of reaching out, nor do we feel anyone could relate to our thoughts and behavior. Well, you do. Valeria Telles interviews Sandra Wallace, an OCD coach, registered psychiatric nurse, and speaker. Sandra has 28 years of experience working with OCD, both on a professional and personal level. For 14 years, she attended training in the United States annually to learn about OCD and the recent changes and challenges in the OCD world. She is passionate about helping others overcome their OCD, and her most exciting part of work is helping to coach others to achieve results so they can live a life that matters. Her main focus is to get people from fear to freedom. For she describes fear as often being false evidence appearing real. Meet Sandra at theocdcoach.com. Here is the interview with Sandra Wallace. In your own words, who is Sandra Wallace? Sandra Wallace is a girl that lived 27 years of her life with OCD before sharing it with the world. What is OCD, Sandra? OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder, and it affects about 2 to 3% of the Canadian population. And uh, with the OCD, it's um, a lot of unwanted, impulsive, intrusive thoughts or images that we struggle with. How do you define mental health? How would you describe the state of being mentally healthy? 
Well, a lot of people think just the word mentally means it's just a mindset, but really it encompasses everything holistically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And I think it's very intertwined. You cannot really have one without the other. So we really need to address all aspects of it. And what would that look like once we have addressed all of these components and how would the mind manifest What would that look like in a way? I'm trying to picture or visualize, yeah, what a mentally healthy person would look like or behave like. I think we would, uh, people, when they feel comfortable about themselves and they're able to show, um, I often think about vulnerability. If they're able to show their vulnerable side and not be concerned about how people are judging them because we live in such a society where people are quick to judge and and if we're vulnerable, we feel that people will will judge us and there's a lot of um, uncertainty and risk and emotional exposure when when we do show our vulnerable side. But I think it's necessary to be able to understand who we truly are Oh, wow, Sandra. I love that. (laughs) I love that answer. (laughs) I love that idea. I love everything about it (laughs) because it makes sense to me. It resonates true. This idea of being perfect, it just doesn't work. It never does, right? The perfectionism. That's right. And we often, um, when we feel that we're vulnerable or or exposed um, emotionally, we're actually showing a lot of courage. And people don't seem to recognize it as courage. They see it as a form of weakness. But I always tell people, ask for help because help asking for help doesn't mean you're weak. It actually is an opportunity to maintain your strength. Wow. Yeah. What a beautiful message and an important one. I agree. So I wonder why we have come to live in such a way with this fear of being ourselves, our authentic self. Do you have some ideas? I think a lot of insecurity around being our natural selves. Um, I think social media portrays us to be something that we may never even be able to achieve. And so therefore we go out of our way to avoid the situations that may make us that vulnerable. And um, I know that um, a lot of people are looking to others for validation and acceptance, but um, I think that people just need to really open up and be true to themselves, number one, and then um, others will, and realize that others may or may not accept them for who they are, but to live a life without purpose or live a life that others want you to leave, you'll never really get the full fulfillment. Yeah, so, so true. Yeah, you mentioned social media. Would you expand that to... Um, Television to mainstream TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that whole immediate gratification with television. I don't have tel. I, I don't have TV for that reason. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because there's so much of um, the media portrays of what we should be like. But I um I think it's all around us. Even when you talk social media, the likes, the followers. I know when I started, the people that uh, were working with me on my website said you have to buy followers. And I said to myself, they said, just even if they're fake followers. And I said, I don't want anything fake in my business. I want it to be organic in nature. Yes, that has 
a lot to do, it sounds to me, with courage, as you said, and trust, right, Sandra, too. Mm. It seems like we are trusting, would you say, ourselves or something beyond that? Well, you mean uh, trusting ourselves in what regard? Sorry. And becoming more natural and open to life. Yeah. Not being afraid mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. Yes, for sure. Yes. I, I always remember a quote um, by one of my mentors that he had said, uh, don't let others, other people's opinion of you become your reality. And that spoke volumes to me. And that's probably one of the deciding factors that allowed me to move forward and share with the world about my OCD. So this might be a, a good time to talk about it. Talk to me for a moment about your healing journey, living with OCD and not being able to label what was happening. Mm -hmm. It was really frustrating because I knew there was something wrong, but I couldn't put a label. And I don't want to say label in the way of stigmatizing because we a lot of people do put labels on others. But I always said the label was just an opportunity for me to find out what my diagnosis was and therefore be able to have the appropriate professional help and intervention to be able to overcome it. So I had gone to many doctors and visited many walk-in clinics and it didn't matter which clinic I went to everyone acknowledged that I needed help but then that's where it was left they couldn't tell me what it was I had or what they were going to do to intervene to help me get past it until 1995 when I met Dr. Vivian Rowan in Winnipeg Manitoba and she within one short visit she was able to tell me that I had OCD and she put those pieces of the puzzle together very quickly based on my symptoms. And what are the symptoms Sandra? Well, the symptoms can vary. Um, unfortunately, or maybe now I look at it as fortunately, I've had every type of OCD, but some people can just focus on contamination OCD. Some have religious themes, scrupulosity, intrusive thoughts, hit and run OCD, where you drive and you feel you've hit and, uh, pedestrians. And then there's the checking OCD, where you check appliances, check doors. There's many types. And I'm finding that now in the last several years, there's more relationship OCD where people are doubting their relationship with their partner so much so that they're looking at separation, divorces, when it's really, um, and not to minimize it, but it is a form of OCD. That's amazing. So in all of these forms of OCD, or the symptoms are grounded in fear, would you say? Mm -hmm. Fear is the... The basis. Yes, ultimately the the outcome is fear, concerned about their reputation. Interesting enough that we talked about that earlier, about other people's viewpoint. A lot of it comes back to what is the end result? For me, it was always ending up going to jail. And then as a result of jail, it would result in me dying because of my fear of going to jail. And when we talk about fear, I always remember uh, the acronym fear is really false evidence of Appearing real. So a lot of our OCD is not real. Um, it's what we've created in our mindset that has um, gotten to the point where we're terrified. So yeah, there is a lot of, um, there's common themes throughout the types of OCD, 
but the individual, and they may fluctuate, they wax and wane and, and there can be periods where it's only focused on one type. And then as soon as you start being able to overcome that, then another one, you know, will present in place of that. Let me ask you a question about healthy fear. Is this something that exists? Do you acknowledge that kind of fear? Yes, and and we all need to have fear and anxiety to some extent because that's our fight or flight mode, right? It helps us to stay out of danger or or be able to be safe. But what's different about that type of anxiety versus what we live with, uh, living with OCD, is once that situation is resolved in the normal fight or flight state, our body goes back to that relaxation. There's a parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And after the anxiety or the the event has um, resolved itself, our bodies are able to go back to a natural state. But with living with OCD, we never tend to get to that place. There's always that hypervigilance and that fear of, of what's going to take place next. Wow. So it becomes a way of living, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. That also makes me think about trauma. Is there a relationship between OCD and early childhood traumas? Yes, there is. Yeah. A lot of times we can look back and and, um, be able to find the triggers that cause them. Absolutely. What do you think or feel is the purpose of the human experience? Um, I look at it like the dash, like everybody's here for a purpose and it's a matter of finding out what your purpose is. And I learned since 95 up to this point that my purpose was to go out there and speak to people and help others living with OCD. And I often say to myself, what am I going to do in my dash? Because when you, when we pass on, there's your birth date and then there's the dash and then when you leave this this universe. So what is it that I've done in my dash? And I think that everyone does have a purpose. It's just a matter of bringing it out and finding it from within. It sounds very spiritual the way you speak when it comes to purpose. Do you have any spiritual belief systems or practices? Mm-hmm. I grew up as a, a Roman Catholic, so I do have a lot of spiritual beliefs. I've always believed in the power of prayer and the belief in faith, even though there was things that we couldn't see or a lot of uncertainty growing up. I grew up in a family that was very unstable a lot of the time. And, there, and I think that's where my OCD um, stemmed from as a young girl because I didn't have any control over my environment. So in my mind, I had to create some form of control and safety. But I am very spiritual and I've always believed in, in angels and um, different signs as, as your um, mind is feathers. When I'm nervous or anxious, I find a lot of feathers or eagles fly over. So I know those are my angels watching over me. Yeah, I have a question for you about healing. What are the signs when we have healed ourselves from whatever it is, like in this case, OCD? So what are the clear signs that show that healing is taking place? Well, for me, I think the healing, I was able to be able to follow through with having the obsessions present without feeling compelled to do a ritual, a compulsion to alleviate the anxiety. So I, I learned that I was able to sit in the, lo- in the anxiety long enough to know otherwise. 
and I wasn't responding with my immediate response as I did for years. So, for example, with washing, if I felt like my hands were dirty, instead of going and, and bathing in Javix or using Mr. Clean to wash my hands, I was able to just wash it with natural soap or even better yet, refrain from doing any of the compulsions and not wash at all. And I I think that's been really tricky with COVID over the last two years because as much as I know we have to wash, um, I make it a point not to do the washing to the extent because I know that I can cycle back to my old ways very quickly. So I have to be mindful at all times that I don't want to go back there. So in a way, healing, it's not a destination, right? Is this ongoing process yes absolutely and it's not like you arrive you're always mindful of it and and knowing that you have to take i i look at it every day like i have opportunities every day to practice the the new way of thinking and the new way of being whereas at one time there was there was no there was no options it was always to do a compulsion so healing has to do with becoming mindful and aware of our own behaviors and what's happening. So there's a lot of self-awareness happening, being the moment, present. It's interesting how I have heard this, of course, many times and I have read and I I, I do the work myself, but it's very refreshing to talk about it even. It's a beautiful Mm. reminder. Yeah, and I often, I think about grounding too, being grounded in the moment, because we really just have the moment. We don't, ha- yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not here. And, and if I can think that way every day, I, I actually do more of that since I'm working with people with trauma, because there's a lot of triggers that can come up unexpectedly. And, and just being able to be present in the moment is very, I feel very helpful. Yes, yeah, a thousand times to that. Uh, being present with what is present, being here, connected to the breath. I love this. It sounds like a practice, and it is a practice. And I, I try to kind of think about this as a way of living, like this natural, organic way of moving through life. It seems like it's a practice, right? We have to be always reminded of these things, and yeah, we have to yeah. practice. That's interesting. So what does freedom look like? What is freedom? What is to be free? Freedom is just, for me, it's having choices and not feeling like I'm at the mercy of my obsessions. So having the choice to uh, allow them to come and go. A lot of imaginary things that I will do, like just look at it like thoughts and let them come and let them pass and keep going. And so having the freedom to make choices and to, to spend my day doing productive things and giving back to the world. One of the best ways that I feel free is to be able to help others become free from their OCD. And that's truly my, probably my biggest blessing right now is, and, and, and that's my life mission is to reach as many people as I can um, oh. to help them see see that. So what is like to work with you as an, an OCD coach center? Well, uh, you know, initially when I started, um, when the pandemic took place, I decided that I was going to, um, like, in times of adversity, I said to myself I was going to expand. 
So I started doing the virtual uh, one-to-one sessions. And when people first came to me and they would tell me they've seen one or two or maybe three psychiatrists or other counselors, I immediately thought, oh, my job's going to be so easy. But in actual fact, I have had so many complex cases because there's not enough people like myself that are trained in this field. And if you don't know what the questions to ask, you likely aren't going to get the answers. So it's a matter of building that therapeutic rapport with people and that trust so that we can get in and find out exactly what their thought process is. So working with me, I'm always very open and um, transparent about that. And I always take the time two to three sessions to get a really good snapshot of what's going on in a person's life. And then from there, we can create a tailor-made specific program for them that I could coach them to start working through their OCD. And and it's a gradual process. Some like to do the accelerated program. I have an express recovery program, which is five weeks. But um, I have everybody from the on the continuum from just getting started. So I I wouldn't recommend that program to people who have had some um, training a little bit and want to make the changes quickly because they're so tired of living in this life that is so debilitating. So uh, if they are going to go on the express recovery program, then we make a specific tailor-made program. And if they're not ready for that, or I don't feel they would be good to at that to do that at that starting point then we can do one-on-ones until they get to a point but either way we can still achieve the same results some just happen at a quicker pace than others and then we take the the list of obsessions and compulsions and the anxiety related to each specific one and we build what I call a SUDS level, subjective units of distress scale. And we list an anxiety from zero to 10 with each item. If they are not able to do their compulsion, what would their anxiety level look like? And we tackle the smallest ones. I always tell people we need a foundation. That list of your OCD is our foundation to build on. Just like a house or anything else, you need to start with the foundation. And then we can build up and and over time, each person can see that they can do, they can make a difference in their life. They can refrain from doing their compulsion, but we need to start somewhere. And so we start with the least ones. And I always say there's no such thing as failure. We're just failing forward. We're moving forward. As long as we're building momentum and and creating some momentum, then we're, we're going to see results. So is there a time frame? to overcome the OCD disorder? It was, um, it's actually its own disorder with the diagnostic statistics manual. It's like our psychiatric Bible. It used to fall under the umbrella of anxiety disorders. There was uh, eight in total. And now we've taken out OCD and it's its own category. And then post-traumatic stress and acute stress fall under trauma-related disorders. So yeah, it's its own entity. But there is no real starter in. Like I'm fast forward now 27 years and I still have types of OCD that will come in, but I'm more equipped. I, I tell people that 
I will always have OCD, but OCD no longer has me in many aspects. So, and often what's unfortunate about this type of disorder is once you conquer one, often another one will take its place. But the beauty is it doesn't matter what type of OCD we have, the treatment modality remains the same. Cognitive behavior therapy changing the way we perceive things therefore our behavior changes and as a result it's therapeutic so it goes back to what you talked earlier about just um, knowing how to becoming more self-aware knowing how to deal with what we have and it's having the tools as you said more options i love that concept because it's really true Like, although I really don't like the idea of practicing (laughs) to get rid of something, but yeah, it's, it's part of life. And it does take work. I tell people, you know, it's it, it will take work, but just like anything else in life, if you take the easy way out, life gets harder. But if you take the hard way out, eventually life does get easier. Thank you so much, Sandra, for what you do and how you do it. You are also a psychiatric nurse. So let me ask you a quick question. What inspired you to become a psychiatric nurse? Well, I was a, de- I was a dental assistant for eight years after graduation. And then I decided that I wanted to go back and do nursing. But I was really interested and focused on the psychiatric aspect of nursing. So that's what encouraged me to go become a registered psychiatric nurse at the age of 25. I went back. Yeah, and then I um I worked I I love in the tw- in the 27 years I've been doing nursing I just absolutely love the patients they they have taught me so much about literally about patience and and unconditional love and acceptance like it's been wonderful but I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm looking at giving up my license because. I can only practice in three of my provinces in the country and I'm getting calls from all over the world. Like I've gotten calls from Iran, Iraq, um, the States to work with people. So I'm just at the point where I think I may, may just open up the doors more to worldwide. Yes, that also resonates, expanding, right? The, the services, the, your way of serving humanity. I love that. Uh, not just locally, but worldwide. Yeah. And then, uh, then I can, I can, I, cause it's really one of the uh, most difficult things is to be able to not be able to help anybody that comes my way. So, um, I'm just in the, uh, process of developing some courses, some additional courses so that, um, people have the education opportunities as well. You mentioned unconditional love. I often write and talk about unconditional self-love. How do you see that? Is that another practice or, or somehow a realization that this is being in the human body is a miracle, being alive, it's extraordinary experience? Yeah, how do you see unconditional self-love, Sandra? I really never saw it up till I started working um, really hard on my OCD and and on my own self-worth because I never thought I was worthy of of love. Uh, Growing up, I never really experienced it much. So I was always in the, um, you know, just staying, trying to survive. I was in the... um, 
fight or flight a lot of my life. So I never saw that till probably when I got married in 94 and I started to see it in my husband and in his family that there was another way of life. There was an opportunity to love yourself and say, you know what, you are enough. Even right here and now, I'm enough. I, I'm always trying to achieve and, and, and better myself, but I think we just, we need to be self-accepting of who we are and, and where we're at as we, as we go through the journey. Yes, a billion, trillion times to that, um, knowing that this is fulfillment already to be here now. I even don't use the word enough because it doesn't seem to kind of embrace what unconditional love really is. It's just fulfillment. It's a miracle. It's the most amazing thing. Unimaginable, the impossible, really, to be here from my perspective. But it kind of saddens me that most people don't realize that and don't understand that. It will take so long, right, Sandra, for us to understand that. Yes. And a lot of times people um, are always trying to achieve more and they miss out on the opportunities that are right here and, and, and present in the moment. That's why I say with my patients, I, I learned so much from them. I have the ending questions before I ask them to you. Would you like to add anything else that we didn't discuss? I, I'm just my my whole mission is that I hope that more people will come forward and acknowledge that they need the help um, and not worry about being judged. That's another big word I hear a lot when people come to me. Initially, they say, um, I hope you don't judge me. And they learn quickly on. They only say that for one to two sessions and then yeah. it's wide open because we've, we've got that trust and that connection. And when, and I love that because I've never had that in my life. I, I didn't realize what I was capable of. I didn't realize I can impact other people's life the way I am doing because a lot of times clients will come to me and they'll say, even after one session with you, you've changed my whole life. And I'm like, how how could I do that? But through the grace of God, I, I, you know, just, I always believe the Holy Spirit moves through me and with me. So that's another big part of my life. What do you love most about being in a human body? I love that. I'm just thinking like what I said earlier, that I love being able to wake up in the morning and have another day to be able to make an impact for someone else. And we don't, it's not, we don't, ever have to really look that far to realize that we are blessed and we have so much to be grateful for. And I think um, if you're just focused on that, that's my my biggest gift right now, especially with everything going on in the world. I'm just grateful to be here and have another day to hopefully make a difference in someone else's life. It goes back to that message, right, of um, the miracle of being alive. So what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself in life as of today? My hardest lesson is I wish I would have had the belief in myself years ago to do what I'm doing now. I allowed um, my fear and my doubt and my, my self-talk, which was very negative, to, to get in the way of just getting out there and, and sharing my story with the world because I worried so much about what others thought. And the reality is most people aren't thinking about you. 80% don't care and 20 are just glad it's happening to you and not them. <laughs> True. <laughs> so so I don't so know cute. why I let and and, and to, to allow the people that 
they don't even, I learned too that, you know what, people have to earn your respect in some realms and that people have to, you, they have to earn your respect, but also the people that are making the impact in your life are people that aren't even, they're not a priority, like they, they shouldn't have any influence in your life. Uh, a lot of times, yet you allow those people that are really um, don't have any contribution to you or to your your life make it very difficult to allow you to make choices. I don't know if that makes sense, but you worry about the naysayers in the group, and yet you can have a lot of people that are on your side and cheerleaders and people cheering you on and and grateful for you. But if there's that one person in the crowd that's that's a critic, that's where my focus was. And that's not where it should be. It should be on the people that surround yourself with the people that love you and care about you. Having that um, expanded vision, just seeing more than what we uh, tend to focus on through the lens of our traumas and and conditions. Yeah, that's true. And I always think um, now that I've been in the field a few years, I say to myself, you know, we need the critics. We need to have the critics to know that we're doing something great, because if we don't have critics, then we don't we're not going to set ourselves apart from from the others and not to say like look at me just to say that you know in order to make some changes in life you have to make some changes and they're not always they're not always comfortable ones um yeah that's a great point too and um it makes me think about how to overcome or embrace negativity like coming from within and the outside but not even negative not not seeing them as negative but an opportunity to grow to see clearly to improve that's what i do i really practice to see challenges as a way of growth of of shifting from a, one perspective to another Yes, and that's probably one of the biggest barriers we have with OCD is uh, what I call thought-action fusion. As soon as we have a negative thought, it it in our mindset, we, we associate it as a being a bad person. So that thought-action, if you picture two magnets coming together, the, clo- the closer you have the thought and the action as one, the harder it is to separate those. So what I teach people to do is with those two magnetic forces is, is expand the gap farther and farther from each other long enough that they don't have any correlation with each other. But that takes time because we need to challenge our faulty beliefs. So my last question is, what is another word for healing? Another word for healing? I kind of look at it like becoming. Because as you're healing, you're becoming, you're making some transformations in your life. Even transformation could be healing in, it, in, in, in some aspects of it. So maybe those two combined stand out for me. So... Thank you so much. Now we are at the end of the interview. I want to thank you for your presence, for the way you express yourself, for what you do and how you do it, and everything else in between, Sandra. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your services, products, and future projects? 
I have a website, uh, www.theocdcoach.com, and my email is info at theocdcoach.com, and my number, you can reach me at 1204-295-4408. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you. Bye for now, Sandra. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sandra Wallace and her work, please visit theocdcoach.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.